Broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Women's Telehealth, whose mission is to bring scarce, high-risk maternal fetal medicine services to patients and referring obstetricians in their own community, urban or rural. Visit womenstelehealth.com for more information. Now, here are your hosts, Tanya Mack and C.W. Hall. What is up, Tanya Mack? Well, it is going to be an interesting day today. Our topic today is uh, maternal fetal telemedicine. And with us today, we have Dr. Uh, Ann Patterson. And let me tell you a little bit about her, and then we'll talk about our topic. Dr. Patterson um, originally was trained out of school as an aerospace engineer. She is actually a rocket scientist. <laughs> and you can't, all, not all doctors can say that. Um, but she, along the way, and she'll tell her story in a minute, uh, did her residency and maternal fetal medicine training at Emory. So she's a local girl. Um, she is a pioneer in the telemedicine space and has specialized in the women's and obstetrics part of that space. And she's expanded her business to provide services in the seven Southeast states. So she's grown quite a bit. She had a private practice at Northside Hospital for over 20 years for maternal fetal medicine. And she's joining us as the immediate past president of the OBGYN Society. And she was able to uh, build a new facility. And one of her claims to fame during her tenure there was she lobbied to get the first Medicaid raise for obstetricians in Georgia for the first time in 13 years. So she's probably tired getting us today. She's been working very hard, but we're happy to have you, Dr. Patterson. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Very good. Well, today we're going to talk about maternal fetal medicine, and it's a rare subspecialty of obstetrics, which delivers high-risk OB care. And uh, doctors like Dr. Patterson manage complex complications of pregnancy, such as multiple gestations, chronic medical conditions during pregnancy, gestational diabetes, and fetal abnormalities. In fact, the CDC and March of Dimes estimated in 2015 on their report card that approximately one in 10 babies in the United States are born prematurely. And Dr. Patterson will tell you more about her experience with the statistics of high-risk complications in Georgia, but we're not known for our performance, I don't think, in infant mortality and uh, maternal problems. So uh, getting access is a big part of maternal fetal medicine. There's only about 20 or so specialists in the state like Dr. Patterson, and getting to doctors like her, I think, are an issue. So one thing that's unique that we're going to be talking about today is she uses telemedicine as a tool to get better access for patients, both urban and rural, and as a way to keep costs down and make it more convenient for patients. Right, Dr. Patterson? That is true. And we've had uh, we've worked on many different av- avenues to try to help improve health care to Georgia uh, in the women's space. Georgia has 159 counties. They've had numerous hospital closures, and there are numerous counties that do not even have obstetric care. So to try to provide that kind of care to these women has been a challenge, and telemedicine certainly is an integral part. We actually have partnered with a health department clinic where the statistics in that particular district were pretty abysmal. In the African-American population, they had an 18% premature birth rate. In the Hispanic population, it was about 16%. Over a 18-month period, partnering with the health department and several different types of programs in place, Uh, The numbers improved dramatically. In fact, we were better than the rest of the state. In the African-American population, 
it was 8% and the Hispanic population 6% prematurity rate. So a huge improvement. Well, boy, that's an excellent case study, and we'll talk a little more about that. That's kind of extraordinary. Let's back up a little bit and have you just explain to us what is maternal fetal medicine and how is it different than OB? Well, first off, you do finish an obstetrics and gynecology residency. It is one of the approved subspecialties after a residency. It is a three-year program where you then specialize just in maternal fetal medicine. So why do you think there's so few of you nationwide? If there's 20 in Georgia, there must not be many nationwide. Probably around 1,800, and that number has stayed relatively stable. From the time I entered the practice to now, it has gone up maybe two or 300, but that's about all. Well, I think it's a a longer term that you're out there working. You still have to pay the bills, and Mm -hmm. you don't make a... So just a long fellowship. It's a long fellowship, Mm -hmm. and it's more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've certainly been working between the engineering and the medicine. Tell us how you made the transition from engineering to medicine. Well, I got involved in a biomedical project when I was working for NASA. Uh, I worked with the man that actually developed the laser surgery that was first used in eye surgery. And he encouraged me on a daily basis to go to medical school because he had to stand by and watch what he had done used by people who really didn't understand it. But Long term, I guess I did hear him and go back to school. I got my master's, my pre-med at the same time. So kind of the telemedicine kind of brings you back to engineering a little bit. You must be comfortable with the technology. Well, it has been great because it does marry the two, and it has been, for me, very exciting to do that. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about how do you work with an OB? Because I know most women are comfortable going to the regular OB and wouldn't be seeking you out on their own, probably. Well, for instance, uh, the obstetrician has to refer them. It is a referral practice. And if we're located, say, in their office, they come down the hall. It may be a work-in. It may be a scheduled appointment. But we see the patient. They're aware of what's going on. The referring obstetrician is made acutely aware if there's an immediate need to take care of something. And then either they're reappointed, sent to the hospital, whatever is needed to address the issues that they have can be done right there, which is great. And then during the course of the pregnancy, if you find a problem, are you co-managing the pay? They continue to see their regular OB. Oh, absolutely. They should always see their regular OB. And yes, we do co-manage them. And it kind of depends. It's practice specific because certainly some practices like to do certain things themselves and we're there to complement whatever they need us to do. Others want us to say, for instance, take over and manage their diabetic patients totally. We can do that as well. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a broad capability to help support the obstetricians correct throughout the duration of the pregnancy now let's talk about what kind of patients on the mom on the mom side and the baby side what kind of conditions does uh, an, a maternal fetal medicine specialist take care of well any type of anomaly uh, certainly is um, we, we screen and scan for anomalies in different ways but that's certainly how on the list in addition uh, hypertensive patients, diabetic patients, either gestational or overt diabetes. Then it can be uh, thyroid dysfunction mm-hmm. of either type, any type of endocrine. There can be multiple type of endocrinological problems or past medical problems that have arisen in a patient's Like chronic care. conditions that they, right. they got pregnant when they had that condition. And sometimes the uh, physiology of pregnancy or the physiology of the patient is quite different in pregnancy, and that does 
affect what the chronic condition is. And so we deal with that more frequently than, say, just a specialist. But we will work with other specialists, say a rheumatologist, if a person uh, is seeing that pac- uh, that um, specialist mm-hmm. as well. We were talking off radio, uh, off airtime about um, the role that obesity has come to used to be. We didn't really think of that as a complication. And I know that in your own practice, you have quite a large number that presents its own problems. Um, so I don't think people think about that. Um, but maybe you could speak to that for a few minutes. Well, it is an issue. And in wearing the hat of the former president of the George OBGYN Society, we actually did a study looking at what were the causes of maternal mortality in Georgia, because we have an abysmal record. What is our record? Um, well, it started out that we were 50th of 50 states. That's pretty terrible. So we have com- we com- put together a committee that um, is chaired by Dr. Michael Lindsay, who does what I do, but he's at Grady. Mm-hmm. They have done an amazing job of looking at all the entities that can contribute to this and how to address this to make it better for the women in the state. And one of the things that has stood out in this is that obesity is an enormous problem. And with obesity, we often find other complications, certainly diabetes and hypertension being part of it, and not realizing um, how these three can interplay with one another in a, a very obese patient to um, work to her detriment uh, for both her care, her condition, and her life. We are not talking about someone who is slightly overweight. Uh, s- some of these women have basal metabolic indexes of over 40. Uh, really, if they're over 35, there are studies out there that say that they should be seen by a maternal fetal medicine specialist and followed more closely just because of their weight. So. Mm-hmm. Here in Georgia, we have had a real issue, and um, nutrition and good nutrition counseling is part of the goal of the partners, including the state and uh, CDC, at trying to help women manage this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that's a big problem just in America, not just in Georgia. So let's talk a little bit about in a normal pregnant population, what would be a typical percent of patients that would have some kind of reason to consult with a MFM specialist? I would say it would range somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of the patients. Okay, so out of 100 pregnant patients, about 15 or 20 would have some reason at one point in the pregnancy to have a consult with you. Correct. Okay, very good. So let's kind of go back. We had just kind of been dancing around the statistics, but let's talk a little bit more about preterm labor and complications and what are some of the challenges of accessing care and kind of Um, You have a unique perspective, having just done this study, you know, as president of the OBGYN Society and having access to information. It seems like the need is greater, but we're still closing down OB units, so the access can't be getting much better. Now, in fact, it's there's a whole corridor uh, going out, but sitting between I-20 and I-16, between say Milledgeville and Dublin, and all the way to the coast of Statesboro, Savannah. And you have multiple counties from the south all the way up to uh, Tacoa before you see another obstetric unit. So Athens and then um, Milledgeville, Dublin, Augusta, Statesboro, and Savannah. And all of those counties in there do not have obstetric care. So all of these women have to drive. Like um, an hour, hour and a half? Correct. Maybe, maybe more. So anytime you're driving over an hour and a half, the risk of having a preterm birth escalates. 
And uh, many people are looking at this and ways to try to help provide care locally because that is the best way for people to have good care. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then probably I know uh, also, too, we've talked about the Georgia Southwest Corridor down around Moultrie over to the Alabama line, kind of south of Columbus seems to be lack of resources. Another area where there are scarce resources as well. There, There are pockets throughout the state, but those are the two largest areas of multiple counties that do not have obstetric care locally easily accessible. Right. So let's kind of back up. We talked about your study. Let's dive into that a little bit more about preterm labor, um, which kind of leads to potentially a NICU stay if the baby's born prematurely. And um, it's really high in Georgia and really high in pockets of Georgia. Can so you talk a little bit more about preterm labor and what causes that and how you're working to kind of um, prevent some of that? Well, we actually have improved. We're very proud of that. We started out, I think, at about the 48th out of 50, and we're down to about 42 out of 50. So obviously we've improved, but we still are a long way from where we want to be. And the average is about 13% in the state for preterm labor, preterm birth. Education, so patients know what the symptoms are to go seek care, that's huge. Having a place for them to have care is another very important piece of this. You know, they may know, they may understand, but if they don't have access to get somewhere, then once again, they are relying on the last minute, and sometimes that isn't adequate to stop labor or prevent a preterm birth. And anytime you have preterm births, you are going to have a baby, by and large, that's going to end up in the NICU. And those days are enormously expensive. If you are on Medicaid, and that is the largest obstetric provider in the state, either through straight Medicaid or the CMOs, that is a very expensive bill for the state of Georgia because these babies can be in the NICU a long time. And so it's far more cost-effective to try Keep them to, out. Yes, to try to prevent preterm birth and provide care. The problem is that obstetric units and hospitals have closed because it is it is expensive to staff this. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. It's expensive on both ends, but it's definitely necessary. Mm-hmm. What What's the definition for preterm labor? Like birth before how many weeks? Well, they've redone some of the guidelines about what they're called. So we really want to try to keep a patient pregnant to 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. However, that said, if you can keep someone uh, from delivering before 34 weeks, you're going to do a whole lot better than if you're delivering at 32 weeks much earlier. So the farther along you are in pregnancy, the healthier the baby's going to be, the less likely they're going to be in the NICU. So there are no, all the hospitals and the obstetricians have joined forces in the state to try to not have any elective deliveries before 39 weeks unless there is a pressing need. That said, obviously people present with all sorts of problems or they're in preterm labor. So the goal is to try to get you as close to 39 weeks as possible. Mm -hmm. Do you have it? You mentioned for preterm labor that a lot of times the moms don't really, first time moms don't really realize what the symptoms of labor are. They've never felt that before. Do you have any thoughts about first-time moms in preterm labor? Is there a correlation there or not? Probably some. I don't know offhand exactly what that okay. statistic is. But yes, if you can, if 
a patient is seen just in the health department through a program there, it will definitely be more helpful than if they're not receiving if they good walk care. In. Yeah, yes. if they walk in. Yeah. Okay, so I want to make a switch from the maternal fetal that we've been talking about, your practice of medicine, to actually how you got involved with telemedicine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that works and how telemedicine works for you? Well, my first foray into telemedicine was many years ago, and we obviously have improved dramatically since then. But I was actually with NASA and was part of a team that launched a satellite to provide telemedicine care first to India and then over the remote Rocky Mountain area. And so I saw the type of equipment and how the links worked back then. What we have today is far, far superior. I saw the current configuration presented by an organization known as the Georgia Partnership for Telehealth, which was put in place by um, then, I think, Lieutenant Governor Zell Miller. And um, the infrastructure is supported in the state and maintained 24-7, and you have the ability to see patients just like you were in the room with them with ancillaries such as a stethoscope where they can you can direct a telehealth presenter to move the stethoscope where you want it and hear the heart just like you were standing in the room. Cameras that are so sophisticated, you can see in the throat or in the ear probably better than you can with your uh, own eyes with using a notoscope. Uh, the peripherals are absolutely superb. The cameras are amazing. The ability to provide care with obviously a telehealth presenter helping on the uh, presenting end is amazing. The one thing that we have been able to do is to have a high-resolution ultrasound the scans are absolutely superb. It's just like you were standing there scanning yourself. And we obviously have qualified people who know how to do a maternal fetal medicine scan. Doing the scan, you the resolution and the ability to obtain pictures or to guide the patient or show the patient what's going on is superb. And you can actually have the pictures and see the patient at the same time. So it's really uh, both unique and amazing to be able to provide this kind of care anywhere, even at your local health department. Mm -hmm. So we were talking off air about the resolution and what a big hot button 3D ultrasound is to a lot of moms today. So is 3D ultrasound on some of these sophisticated ultrasound studies, like first trimester screening, you're able to do by telemedicine? You can. Uh, Usually uh, 3D is is a more fun thing than not, but it's really a really good adjunct if you're looking at cleft lip, cleft palate, that sort of thing. To see really clearly. Right. But um, we work in a 2D world most of the time. We can pretty, I guess in our own mind, we project it in 3D, but we can see pretty well with 2D. Okay. And you alluded to the fact that when you first looked at telemedicine, it was by satellite that you saw your first experience with it. How do you transmit today? What, do you, what What's your pipeline? Uh, you, well, in Georgia, they have uh, dedicated T1 lines that are maintained 24-7. You can use fiber as well. So broadband, yes, there's, network, internet network. There are other modalities as well because we have actually had demonstrations as far as away as the Minister of Health in Bangladesh. So there are other... So time of, and space <laughs> kind of goes away and you can still see everything in real time by satellite or cellular or broadband. Correct. Very good. Anything else about if... Uh, setting up a telemedicine practice, like you had to get new tools. Uh, like what are you? Min- you mentioned like uh, Bluetooth stethoscopes and teleradiology. You mentioned a telepresenter. Why don't you tell us a little bit about 
Um, if we were the patient, how would we walk through a visit with you? Well, the patient would come into a room, by and large, where there was a, a large monitor uh-huh. where she could see me. She may be in the same room with an ultrasound machine, and she would be aware that what's on the screen there in the ultrasound machine is also something I'm seeing as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's obviously both the ultrasonographer and the telehealth presenter there. And after the scan, that can be discussed and or other physical exam parameters looked at with the patient. So she's very aware and she can see me. She can see what's going on with her on the screen as well. So she's, it's very much just so like her, you're in the room. So for her, it's just like uh, she can see her baby in the room on ultrasound. And instead of you walking through the door, you come on TV. That is correct. Okay. And she can talk to you live. Right. So she would have the consult and the ultrasound sometimes at the same time? Correct. And um, is there any, can you see her real time, like uh, like real time? Oh, yes. Okay. So if you had an indication, what would be an indication where you might want to see her real time versus like upload pictures? Well, for instance, if uh, the patient herself had an arrhythmia and we were trying to work out the best way for her to be seen by cardiology, I would definitely want to document what her heart sounds were like and that sort of thing. Um, That's one way. And then depending where she is, she may or may not have a cardiologist readily available and she may have to travel. And travel for a lot of these women is a real issue. They, particularly if, say, if a child has an abnormality, their ability to come to Atlanta for surgery may be a one-shot situation. So we'll try to coordinate that with surgeons that would need to see the child, and then she comes just when she needs to. Mm -hmm. So out of curiosity, how do the patients do, I mean, are they adopters? Are they happy doing this? Kind of what what is their take on this kind of telemedicine experience? They have been, I would say, 99.9% very responsive and, and very happy with it. I have had maybe one or two in five plus years that have been Hmm, what's this? Mm-hmm. Most of them, it's just seamless, and they are very comfortable with it. Often they'll have their children there. The children are wonderful, and they can be, actually, they can be hysterical. Uh, they may ask you all sorts of strange questions, as children will do, but um, they're very savvy with tech today. Little kids are, so they're very, very much into this. Mm-hmm. So they like it. Very much yes. so. Okay. And what are some limitations? So we've talked about you can do scanning, you can diagnose, you can see in real time, you can listen to breath sounds, but what can't you do through telemedicine? Well, for instance, if you have a patient who has a known antibody to um, a blood antibody and uh, you do document that the father of the baby carries an antigen for this, we can scan the baby, we can monitor the blood work, we can look at the MCA dopplers in the head, and suddenly if these begin to rise and that baby is going to need a intrauterine fetal transfusion, then she would have to be transferred to a medical center where that could be done hands-on. Obviously, that sort of thing you can't do by telemedicine. You're surprised sometimes you think it's one problem and then you're going to have to facilitate hospital admission or some kind of procedure that requires hands at the patient end. Right. If I'm seeing that, I, I will tell them up front, we will watch you with this as long as we can. If things don't progress well because we can't always predict, 
then you may need to be transferred. But you try to have them as prepared as possible. So what percent of your total patients would you see are appropriate for MFM telemedicine? 90 percent. Well, that's really high. Yeah. yeah okay. Very few have needed to be transferred. And sometimes we've been able to facilitate that. So they have a procedure and then they come back and we see them the rest of the way. Okay. Let's talk a little more about the telemedicine aspect. What challenges do you have in telemedicine? Like what kind of hinders you? You you, you see it on TV. You see United Healthcare running commercials about it. Uh, Americans are learning about telemedicine as a tool, um, but I know there must be limitations and challenges because it's relatively new for the general public. Well, there can always be a technical glitch every now and then, yep. but you have to have workarounds or redundancy so that it doesn't stop you or keep you from doing what you need to do for the patient. I think that's the thing to have in place. And I think there certainly it's important to have appropriate protocols in place so that you know what to do or if you have a, another provider that's involved, they know what to do if certain things arise. Mm-hmm. What about, um, is there a, tele, a national telemedicine license? No, each state is separate. We have to have a medical license in each state. Each state or some states may have uh, very distinct things that they require for telemedicine. The bottom line is you just need to practice good medicine with the same type of standards you would with any patient you were walking in a room to see. If you view telemedicine as this is my exam room, this is my patient, and you practice as you would anywhere, you're probably fine. But each state has their own licensure, just like they do if you were going to practice in that state. So if you're here in Georgia, do you need a license where the patient is? Correct. Okay, so that's why you have so many licenses, as you see patients from different states from here. And you have to be licensed in the state where you're seeing the patient. Okay. And what about reimbursement? Who's paying for telemedicine these days? Well, Georgia was one of the early adopters, and they passed legislation many years ago to provide telemedicine care. So it is provided by the commercial insurance and the Medicaid providers as well. So Georgia has parity, which is great. Now, Um, what is parity? That means that you're paid just like you were there Okay, so patient. if you give advice and your malpractice is liable, whether you saw them in person or by telemedicine, that is correct. Same reimbursement. Correct. Okay. Florida, for instance, a little bit different. Uh, they have telemedicine for children, but not for pregnant patients. I, that legislation is an ongoing Pending. thing down there. Mm-hmm. You know, only commercial carriers down there provide telemedicine care. So it, it is very state specific. Now, when you go into a rural area, do you have, uh, are there challenges with a skilled workforce in that area? Depends. Like to be with a patient or to scan for the patient? If there's a nurse practitioner that can be trained to um, provide care or another telehealth presenter that you can train, the answer to that is no, that's easily over, you can easily overcome that. On the other hand, if you're looking for an MFM sonographer, often we have to send someone in that is a trained to do that sort of scan. So do you sometimes provide the sonographers rurally? Absolutely. Okay. So it just depends on the situation and the resources in that community you're trying to serve. Correct. Okay. Well, how HIPAA compliant is all this stuff? Because I think people are really nervous about their medical information moving through the internet and all this kind of stuff. Well, it is very HIPAA compliant. Uh, I used to joke um, many years ago that we were just going to put paper bags over people's faces in the exam room and they have eye holes cut out. But jokes aside, um, telemedicine is very HIPAA compliant. 
it is on a secure network and anything that comes in or out is encoded so that it can't be hacked. And that's really quite reassuring. So it's probably the same kind of encryption through like our today, more more patients are more familiar with patient portals where they go and get their lab work or they can talk securely to their doctor um, by email or whatever. So same kind of encryption process, maybe. Yes. Okay. And let's talk a little bit. I know uh, we've given a lot of information to the listeners today, both about maternal fetal medicine and also about telemedicine in general, but people remember the stories. So I'm sure without naming names, can you tell us, and I would think in obstetrics, there may be because of the urgency of getting a baby out sometimes, there might be some life-saving stories that you've experienced. Could you share just one or two stories of how you've been able to make a difference through the telemedicine tool? Sure. One of the ones that is, to me, the most outstanding was uh, done in, in, very, in South Georgia. And uh, the young woman had twins, and she had a late-onset twin-to-twin transfusion. And she was being monitored by ultrasound. Now, what is a twin-to-twin transfusion? Well, that's when one baby steals the blood flow from the placenta uh, from the other baby. So one baby has no fluid around it. One has a lot of fluid Mm -hmm. and maybe more fluid than the baby can handle Mm -hmm. internally in the body. And this happened, and we were able to guide the sonographer who had been trained locally by telemedicine to obtain the kind of scan we needed. This was recorded. And we actually sent it to the physician in Miami, who was one of the people who actually invented the procedure, where they go in, laser the offending vessels, so that stops the twin-to-twin transfusion. That's in the placenta. And we sent this to him, and she was right at the end of when he could do the procedure. He had her come immediately to Miami, which they were compliant and did. He saw her that weekend and didn't wait till Monday. He actually lasered the vessels that weekend. She stayed in Miami three or four days, didn't have preterm labor. She came back to her rural community in South Georgia and delivered around 35 weeks. Her twins stayed in the NICU less than a week and went home and are just healthy and thriving and wonderful today. And had she had to make the trip to either... Um, the University of Florida or to Atlanta to be seen by maternal field medicine, uh, I don't think we would have made it in time. We would probably have lost one or both babies. What would have ha- What would have been her course if there was no one skilled to take a picture? They didn't find it down there. What would have happened? I think she would have lost her babies. Lost her babies, yeah. So truly a life-saving story there. Right. So quite dramatically, you're able to not only see pictures and transmit, but coordinate care with hands-on people, which we... Correct. We weren't even talking about. And that was really exciting for me because it made such a huge difference for the mom and the babies. And to get pictures every now and then of them running around playing as little kids is huge. Yeah, I bet so. That's probably probably one of the most rewarding parts of your job, people that wouldn't be on the planet if they weren't uh, cared for during the pregnancy. They made it through. And I think uh, telemedicine in this situation made a huge difference. Very good. Is there anything that you think we have not covered that you want to take a minute to talk about in terms of what you do or how you use telemedicine as a tool to accomplish it both in cities? And let's talk a little bit about, we didn't talk a little bit about rural versus urban. So I think most people think of telemedicine as a way to extend the subspecialty care 
um, where there's none available, like the pockets that we talked about in Georgia where there really aren't resources. Um, but when we were not on the radio, you were talking a little bit about how a lot of your patients are right here in the city. Well, they can be in the city or they can be in a small or moderate-sized community. The ones here in the city have been in situations where it has been helpful for them to have maternal fetal medicine in the office as opposed to having to go to a hospital to be scanned for various reasons. And uh, often the patient is just right down the hall from her obstetrician. So it's Uh, convenient. Convenient. coordinated care. care. Absolutely coordinated care. And it can be things can be that arise can be addressed quickly. So all of those things have been helpful reasons that it has worked out so well in the city as well. Yeah. Do you ever see time in the future where an extension of your work may be in the patient's home? Potentially. Potentially, if you take the model we had with the health department mm-hmm. that made such a difference in preterm birth and partner with patients on a cell phone that have some of the same um, teaching and coordination of care with their providers or with a nurse practitioner, yes, I think that would be very helpful in the future. So like America's moving to apps and smartphones, your specialty will eventually be too, to some degree, maybe. I think so. And there, there are certainly places around the world where cell phones are used for almost everything, and I can not imagine this not being part of it. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, we're at the end of our show today, CW. Boy, time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? It goes quick every time. It does go quick. Well, Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for joining us today. And why don't you tell our listeners how they can find you or learn more about maternal fetal telemedicine? Well, we have a website and at the back of the website, there are several videos. One is where we're actually presenting from the health department in Albany, Georgia, and the patient is being scanned live and she's being seen by the state senate here well how'd you do that <laughs> well we coordinated i don't that. think we have ultrasound in the senate not no. last i checked we had to uh they actually dropped a special t1 t1 line from the georgia partnership for telehealth into the state senate and uh, they were able to have cameras there so it was a coordinated effort but it is a very nice video so the website is obviously www.women's telehealth.com and that's all one word very good and is there a phone number they can reach you 404-478-3017 very good well thank you so much for spending time with us today and good luck with your venture thank you very exciting if you're coming back for the podcast and you haven't done so already in the upper left hand corner of the top docs radio show page you'll see at the apple logo there that'll take you over to the itunes store where the top docs radio show podcast lives and subscribe to us that way each week when the new episode comes out it's waiting for you on your device to listen when it's convenient for you and we hope you turn around and share it obviously this information is something that could very well help somebody that you care about on a significant level as dr patterson was talking about in in some instances they're even saving babies for sure and so being able to share this information with somebody that does that for them would be a great thing so we'll thank you in advance for sharing this information and tanya it's always fun having you here yeah always well prepared have great guests so uh, i look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks all right we'll see you then thanks dr patterson have a great day everyone check back with the same time same place next week we'll see you then 